There's something about the Lord's Supper um, that just sort of sticks out from the rest of Holy Week. If you grew up in the church, you kind of know all the major events of the week. You can understand everything that's going on, why Jesus did the things he did and said the things he said. It begins at the beginning of the week with Palm Sunday, where Jesus enters Jerusalem riding on the back of a donkey and continues on towards Good Friday, where the sacrificial love of our Lord is displayed. And then it ends with Easter Sunday, with the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and the joy that that day brings. Smack dab in the middle of the week, in the middle of all these major events going on, is one night. This night, Monday, Thursday. Oftentimes I feel it might be the forgotten part of Holy Week, but really there's so much going on in the story that all seems to come together on this one night. It's as if all the major plot lines of the Gospels, they all meet at this one point. So as followers of Jesus, it can seem hard to understand what this night means for us. Is there a specific message that should be taken away from this night? As we've done for years now in this youth-led worship service, we try to focus this service around one particular theme or idea uh, that can be found in Scripture and relates to Monday Thursday. This year, that theme, um, we thought about maybe there's a hidden message that could be found in Scripture that's instrumental to us as followers of Jesus. So we decided to put ourselves in the place of the disciples, and we asked a few questions. At the Lord's Supper, what would they have heard? What would they have felt? What would they have been thinking? What would have stood out to them? And what message did they receive from Jesus? So in doing that, we decided this year's theme would be based on the idea of a covenant. We can find the source for this year's theme in Luke 22, where Jesus, in verse 20, he takes a cup of wine and he offers it to his disciples. What's really interesting about Luke 22's account of the Lord's Supper is that it actually records that there were two cups of wine that Jesus offered his disciples. Beginning in verse 17, it says, After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I will not drink wine again with the, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine again with you until the kingdom of God comes. And then there's one in verse 20. After the supper, he took a cup, saying, This cup is my covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Take and drink it. Now, this stood out to me as I was reading it, the fact that there were two cups of wine. And one thing I've learned in my time in ministry is that when you're studying Scripture, if there's something that stands out to you, you should investigate that. You should dive into that, because more times than not, it's God trying to teach you something. So I wanted to know why there were two cups of wine at the Lord's Supper. So it was well known to the disciples and Jesus, they gathered for this meal to celebrate Passover. It's one of the biggest holidays in the Jewish religion. And the disciples are excited to celebrate in the traditional manner with Jesus. Now at Passover, the Jewish custom is to have these special cups. They're called the four cups of Passover. They each have a specific representation. According, and according to the Passover tradition, these four cups relate to the four wills or the four promises that God gives to Moses and to Israel, uh, which can be found in Exodus 6, verses 6 and 7, which was read by Nolan in our Old Testament reading earlier. The names of these four cups are the first cup, the cup of sanctification, the second cup, the cup of deliverance, the third cup, the cup of redemption, and the fourth cup, the cup of praise or restoration. So for the disciples, everything is going on as normal for a Passover celebration. They have just finished their meal and they're enjoying each other's company. And it is now time for their third cup of wine, the cup that always follows a Passover meal, the cup of redemption. Normally, they would just kind of take this cup 
they would say some scripture, they might pray over it, and they'd set it, set it aside. But it's here where this Passover celebration goes in a new direction. It's at this point where things don't continue to go the way they've always gone. It's with this cup, the cup of redemption, where Jesus says the words, this is my covenant, take and drink it. Now, this would have been really weird for the disciples. This would have been one of the craziest things they ever heard Jesus say. Because what they understood then, being Jewish men, living in the time that they were living in, when Jesus says the words, this is my covenant, take and drink it, what they would have heard was, will you marry me? You see, during that time in Jewish culture, when a man wanted to marry a girl, uh, there were a few steps that he had to take. What he would do is he would go to his father, and his father would then go to the father of the girl that was being courted. And the two fathers would agree upon a price that the father of the man would pay to the father of the girl. Now, the, the girl was not being sold off in this transaction. All that was being purchased was the opportunity, was the chance for the man to ask the girl to marry him so the girl could still say no. So what would happen is they would gather both families, their parents, all their brothers and sisters and cousins, and they'd all gather in one room, talk about pressure. And the potential groom, he would take a cup of wine. And in Jewish thought, wine has two representations. One is blood and one is joy. So the groom, he would take this cup of wine and he would say to the girl, this cup represents my covenant with you. This wine is my life's blood. Take and drink it. At this point, the girl could refuse the cup or she could drink it. And if she did drink the cup, that was her way of saying, I do. And at that point, they were betrothed to be married. So once she had accepted, the groom would then say to the bride, I'm going to prepare a place for you to live in my father's house. And they would agree that neither of them would drink of the fruit of the vine again until their wedding dinner, which would take place at the end of this betrothal period. So after this, after the woman is drinking from the cup, from that point forward, everyone would refer to her as one who was bought with a price. The bride and the groom, they would depart separately. The woman would leave for her hometown, and the man, he would depart for his hometown, where he would go to prepare what is translated as a mansion for them to live in. Don't get too excited. <clears throat> so during this whole betrothal period, they would not see each other, they would not talk to each other. Uh, the only way, in this period could last six months to a year, and sometime two years or three years. The only way they could communicate is that this man would select an advocate. It's very similar to our idea of a best man. And he would select this advocate who would travel back and forth between the two hometowns. Through him, that was the only way they could communicate. So while this patrol period is going on, the groom, he'd be building this mansion, which from Hebrew actually translates to apartment. It was basically just a room. Um, he would build this room as an extension of his parents' house. Quite literally, he'd be adding a room onto the house that his parents already lived in, free rent. And... <laughs> This room would be for him and his wife to live in. But what's really crazy is he didn't even know when this room would be finished. He had to wait for his father's approval. So basically, he would just keep building and adding on to this room until the father came and told him, okay, this is prepared. Go get your bride. At that point, he would go gather his whole posse, his groomsmen, and everyone who was going to be in the wedding ceremony, and they would march into her, into her hometown 
Now, all throughout this betrothal period, she would not know the day, she would not know the time or the hour. She was just waiting in her hometown, in her hometown wondering if this was the day that her groom would come for her. So when that day arrived, the grooms and the groomsmen, they would, they would come into her hometown on a procession, and they'd be blowing their, little sh- their, their shofars, which were basically like little ram's horns. And this would alert the bride that they were coming for her. And she'd know that her wedding day had arrived, and she would walk out of her house and through the town to meet them. Now, it might seem like I've gotten pretty far away from Monday Thursday here, but I hope you're seeing a few parallels. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, and he uses this imagery of a Jewish Jewish wedding ritual at the Lord's Supper to define what our relationship with him is going to be like. He takes the cup. He says, this is my covenant. Take and drink it. The disciples, they recognize and they understand the connection to a marriage proposal, and they drink the wine. Jesus then says, we're not going to see each other for a while. In fact, this will be the last time I drink wine with you until we drink it when the kingdom of God comes. Until that time happens, I will send you my advocate, my best man, the Holy Spirit. Through him, we'll be able to communicate. In the meantime, you're not going to know the day, the time, or the hour that I'll come for you, but you're going to be known as one who was bought with a price. Until then, I'm going to go to my father's house, and in my father's house are many rooms, and I'm going to prepare one for you. I don't even know when that room will be ready, but the Father does. And when the Father tells me it is, at that point, Jesus says, I will gather my posse, my groomsmen, the holy angels, and they're going to blow their shofars called the four trumpets, which will alert you that I'm coming to bring you home. What makes this moment even more incredible is that Jesus is proposing to all of us, but he isn't even proposing to this great, amazing wife. He's proposing to an adulterous one. When Jesus makes this proposal, he looks at me and he looks at you and he sees us at our lowest, at our worst. He sees us broken in our sin. And Jesus wants that person in his family. He wants that person to be offered the cup of redemption. You can see this metaphorically if you just look at who is sitting at the table with him. When he made this offer, he was looking to the eyes of a man that very night who would deny him three times. He was looking to the eyes of a man who would betray him. He was looking to the eyes of the rest of the disciples who, after accepting this covenant, would abandon Jesus. But before all that happened, before Peter denied Jesus, before he would go on to be the rock that would build the early church, Jesus offered him his covenant. And that same proposal is extended to us. No matter how many times we mess up, Jesus says, take my cup. When we neglect Jesus, when we're the ones that abandon Jesus, Jesus says, take my cup. When we don't live in a way we know God would want us to, Jesus says, take my cup. So if you, if you do accept that cup, if you agree to that proposal, then we can't continue to live the single life. For we were bought with a price. And we belong to someone. And we are here waiting for our groom to come for us. And while we wait, there has been a mission that has been passed down to us. Isn't it a weird word given to this night? Maundy Thursday. The word Maundy actually comes from the Latin word mandatum, uh, which translates to commandment. At the Lord's Supper, after the disciples have accepted this commandment, Jesus gives to them, and he gives to all who accept his covenant, a commandment. It's one of the last things Jesus said to his disciples as a group 
before he went to be crucified. John 13, 34, Jesus says, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That last line I think is so important. Your love will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I believe the reason that is is just because how hard it is for us to do that. It's not sinful human nature. It can only come from God. If we took the time to look at the way we act towards one another, could we say we've been following this commandment? I can't say that I have. But it's something we must work at. It's something we must strive to do. Because the true badge of a Christian isn't a cross worn around our necks. It's not a tattoo or some type of clothing. It isn't even just attending church every week. The true mark of a Christian is love. Love for our fellow man, love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, and especially love for our enemies. Now more than ever, there is a need for Jesus in our world. And if you've accepted the offer Jesus gives, then we can be a light into the darkness. Imagine the effect we could have. Imagine the lives that could be transformed if we were willing to love in a way that God loves us. Imagine if we got as fired up about loving others as we did about other things in life, other distractions. Just imagine the revival we could see. Jesus left his disciples with this message. If they accept the proposal, then they belong to him. And now that they do belong to him, they were to go into the world and love one another as he loved them. When we do that, it's a reflection of who we belong to. And that's the covenant that we make when we drink the cup. That we accept Jesus and that we belong to him. And we're going to live in a way that shows we belong to him. So if you've accepted the cup here in communion, remember the promise that was made. Remember the proposal that Jesus gives you to be a member of his church, his bride. Also remember that there was a price that was paid and that there is a commandment that we were given. So now let us go into this time of communion, renew our vow to him, and go from this place, living as, living as those who are bought with a price. Amen.